Welcome to the Grimshaw Podcast, Culture and the City Series, with your host, Tim Williams. Tim Williams here. In this series about culture and the city, we wanted to talk about both these things in the widest sense. Cities uh, have the resources and the population to um, fund great cultural institutions. They are where uh, great artists often congregate uh, and to sell their uh, their artware and to mix with people who are like-minded. So audiences for culture exist in cities. But there are also uh, people uh, assemble, mingle, uh, mix cultures, create art and culture, um, not just from a formal position, if you like, not just the official culture of a city or a nation, but from below. Uh, the creative culture of everyday life, if you like. And we were very keen in that context to have as a guest Sarah Hamke, who has done something extraordinary in terms of cultural creation in a very important, fast-growing city with a very diverse culture, where I regard this intervention that she's helped craft as one of the more important cultural innovations in Australia, but also of international significance I thought it would be a great idea before we interviewed Sarah to hear uh, her give a performance of uh, some of her fantastic autobiographical poem called Home about growing up in Bankstown in Sydney's fast-growing West, which is where there's a very diverse uh, set of communities, often migrants. And uh, I think it's an incredibly evocative poem, um, which also gives a flavour of the kinds of, of material that the great uh, Bankstown Poetry Slam is actually producing. So here's Sarah Hamke. My Australia is barbecues, or as my dad still says, barbecue, meat sizzling on the fire, homemade tabbouleh and tomato sauce, pavlova cake and knefe, the perfect cultural dichotomy. And it's not hard to see, no matter our creed, we always rep our team, hashtag, Wanderers FC. This country will never be tainted by cafe sieges. We will always ride together from the mountains where the bushfires rage. We stand together down to the shore where the lifesavers age under that great southern sun. My Australia is one where women wear their saris and their colorful hijabs proudly. Men don sweat-stained collars like war badges. You can get the best fur in Sydney, the realest Lebanese and Chinese, and you feel at ease because no one judges your garlic breath or that a bully stuck in your teeth. I wonder if you could tell us a bit about almost the main character in this story, which is Bankstone itself. So where is Bankstone? What is Bankstone? Yeah. Sarah, tell us a bit about that before we go into our, <laughs> our culture bit. So if you're from my um, grandparents' generation, you would call it Bunkerstown, <laughs> not Bankstown. Um, <laughs> but it's, um, it's, it's really, um, I think, what multicultural Australia is, it, the heart of that is Bankstown. Um, you've got 160 different nationalities um, and I think that many languages um, in one local government area and uh you have you know kind of almost like also little silos like if you think of 
um, punch bowl as a Lebanese silo, and then one section of bank sound as a Vietnamese silo. Um, but it, it's a place where I myself feel comfortable walking down the street. And if someone is looking at me, it's probably because I think that I'm good looking and not because they think that I'm <laughs> a security threat. Excellent. Very good. So, and also, um, just to put a number, I read this morning, because I'm trying to be good, like, you know, I'm trying to be scientific about these matters, but apparently 44% of the people of Canterbury Bankstown, the local government area, were born abroad. So it's like a yeah. very big population, uh, as you say, Lebanese, Vietnamese, Chinese. So really interesting mix. Only second number, only 25 kilometers, I think, from the CBD of Sydney. Um, so, you know, it's it's like it's not it's not that far away from the center of this global city. It's not that far. And it's really interesting because um, my first trip to the States, I went to Houston and every if you've been to Houston, if you need to get anywhere, it's at least an hour's drive. Right. And I always took for granted how close everything was in Sydney. And I thought it was strange growing up that I would kind of almost shy away from saying that I was from Bankston or I was from Western Sydney, because it's almost like it's a different Sydney, like it's not part of the same city. Uh, so, um, you know, we're really a lot more interconnected than we think. And it's really interesting now to see um, with a lot of development and a lot of globalization happening, um, how the city is evolving and how Western Sydney as well and, and how it's perceived is evolving. I mean, part of what I want to talk about in a way is that I think what you're doing is an incredibly positive example of how people who can come to a city can kind of meet each other in the city and create something, yeah. you know, that's, that's not it's like a mixture of, you know, of partly where they come from, partly where they're going, partly where they are, <laughs> you know, sort of, and I think you've done that really well yeah. whilst creating good cultural outputs. This is not just about, uh, you know, how positive this all is. I think you do great stuff and I'm going to talk about your performances shortly, but let's go. One thing that I've forgotten to do, and it's really important given that this is about culture in the city, but you are much more polite than me because you've already got up on your screen that you're, uh, you're, you're speaking on uh, Bidjigal land. And for the yeah. international audience, because of course, that's why I wanted to say where Bankstown was and, you know, because some of them will not necessarily know where Sydney is. So oh. tell me a bit about, so the Bidjigal land, one of the great things that we do in Australia, I like, I've always thought was really a great sign of politeness at the very least, is to recognise that we are, we are having these conversations on the lands that are the, in the ancestral ownership of the First Nations. And I think that's an incredibly positive thing to do so what i don't know anything about the pidgical is that is that the the clan that's in bankstown so no, that's actually in Arncliffe. i'm actually in Arncliffe at the moment oh sorry okay yeah but darig is in bankstown darig yeah um, yeah and i guess to contextualize bankstown um for global audiences as well um like you mentioned it's only 25 kilometers from the cbd um but it's uh extremely extremely diverse and um there is definitely a sense um, of uh, that diversity when you walk down the street, as you tell from the poem that I did. Yeah. Um, definitely feel like anyone can belong there. Um, and what do you call it? A cultural hot pot. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a, a hodgepodge or whatever they call it. It's a, it's a, it's a melange, I think my French friends would say. You know, it's a really interesting. <laughs> 
kind of confused positive mix-up in in yeah. the Wales, Wales where I'm from the uh, on the, they would call it a, a, a lobscouse a lobscouse is a is a bit of soup that you throw everything in whatever you've got you know you <laughs> throw it, so um, yeah. but I'm also a great believer that um, something new is created when you when you come to you know when diverse communities people come to a city they, they you know they create something new and I think you've done that I'm going to come to that a bit just one last thought the uh so um I haven't asked you about your your, your own so-called silo as it were Where, where's your family background so my parents are born and raised in Lebanon and came in here came to Australia um and straight to Punchbowl in the early 90s and do they, it's interesting, I'm very interested in migration, um, partly because a uh, little known fact about me, why would anybody care, <laughs> is that I've, my PhD is about uh, English migration into Wales. Um, wow. And it's about how the language shifted from Welsh to English, partly because of migration. So I'm very interested. And I grew up in a, in a mining town that was uh, full of uh, English migrants. It wasn't, it wasn't a Welsh sort of native. So I'm very interested in the process of migration. And I, yeah. I, I'm imagining that they go straight to Punchbowl, lots of reasons, but family connections or? So there was a family connection, but also um, the majority of um, people coming from Lebanon either went to Marrickville or to Punchbowl. Okay. Yeah, so it's about affordability and it's about um, comfort. It's about going to the corner shop and being able to find a Cortez can of um, hummus, you know. And is it yes? And is it like um, pre previous migrations? The Irish, when they went to America, they they often went round the church. They often lived near the church. Is that sort of been happening as well? I mean, as the as the kind of mosque and and the faith been a, a binding thing as well in terms of yeah. people. Living? Yeah, there's the, the mosque in um, the Imam Ali Mosque in the Kemba, which is also known as the Kemba Mosque, yeah. which I think was founded in 1981. So so there's definitely a sense of that as well. Yeah. Amazing place, I think. And I also, as you say before, I, I, I keep on saying, by the way, that I'm going to go on to <laughs> another topic and I drag myself back to, to Bankstone <laughs> itself. But I, uh, I, I, I must say, we must point out the two great names of people, or three actually, that come from Bankstone before you, if I might say so, is the uh, it's one is the Paul Keating, the former and great Prime Minister of uh, of Australia. Beyond politics, of course, I, as a former advisor to governments in the UK, would say, right? You know, Paul Keating, amazing bloke yeah. from Bankstone. But John Howard is not from not far away, um, in the same sort of LGA, I think. Uh, as uh, and then, of course, the great, possibly the greatest of the three, Brian Brown. Brown, who yeah. is the great actor who is in Cocktail and various and mil and millions of other things, whose yeah. theatre is the, is the Brian Brown Theatre in, in Bankstown. And do you perform there? We do some events there, but we're mostly based out of the Arts Centre. Yeah. But yeah, we have, and um, he's a very, very wonderful supporter of the Poetry Slam. He's a big patron, isn't he? And he's a big fan. Yeah. And uh, and if you're if you're if you're supported by Brown Brown, you know it. You know it's, uh, it's made great. it. <laughs> <laughs> so look, now we must talk to this thing that you helped create. I don't know the history of any of this stuff, so I'm going to ask you: What is the uh, Bankstown Poetry Slam, and where did it come from? Sure. So the Bankstown Poetry Slam is a monthly gathering of. Um, people from all over Western Sydney and, and broader Sydney, but with one purpose, um, which is to share and listen to poetry. So how a poetry slam works um, is we 
get together on the last Tuesday of every month and uh, people will sign up on the evening to perform their own original work and they have a three minute time limit and there are other couple rules like they can't use any props um, and the work has to be their own original work and uh, we pick random members of the audience to judge and it's completely biased and that's the funny thing about it um, so they give scores on a scale from zero to ten zero being like yeah, kind of needs a little bit of work and 10 being like, I want to marry you. You're amazing. Please have my babies. So um, we encourage we encourage the random audience members who are judging to um, not uh, give out their 10s graciously um, to, yeah, be quite guarded with their 10s and, and probably not also to give any zeros to people. Um, and we get some really, really funny outcomes. Um, it, it's the purpose of it is to share stories and to give young marginalized people a platform and a space where they feel like they can belong, where they can return to every month to express themselves on an, anything that they want to talk about. So, um, and you know, you finish. Oh, I was going to say, and then, you know, we have silly, silly prizes like um, a rubber chicken or a 1982 first aid book, you know, whatever we can find, we just give. So we say the point is not the points, the point is the poetry. I've, I've been to several of them, one one in uh, Bankstown itself and uh, one in the town hall, I think one other, but they were, I always find them amazing for lots of reasons. One, which I want to talk about is the, the, the quality of the work is often really top, you know, it's kind of uh, clever, at its best, clever, funny, it's proper, you know, poetry and great performances, by the way, you know, it's, so it's very, it's not like something that's just I, I like because it's kind of, you know, creative and brings people together. It's actually really very good, right? I think this is one. The second thing is, is an amazement to me in a way. Is that in, in, in broadly in, in like in Western culture, it's been quite difficult over the last few decades to get boys, for example, to be interested in like poetry, you know. And I, I guess rap and all helps has helped quite a few people get into that kind of thing from an unusual standard. They don't think it's like a a bit uh, a bit wet and a bit girly you know to do they, they you've managed to get people from yeah. like you know all possible cultures and genders whatever to express themselves how did that happen yeah well it's interesting because i myself didn't feel like any poetry that i studied in school resonated with me you yeah. know and and how could i expect it to like if i'm reading yates or um whoever um you know white's poetry um I'm, I'm just reading that from my perspective as a young veiled um muslim girl from lebanese background living in western sydney and and you know reading about sexy swans and thinking like how you know, <laughs> i quite <laughs> like yates i quite like yates so, i do like I, I like yates now right but at the time at the time with all my uh young veracity and naivety i was like i didn't get this yeah. and what's the point of this you know um and i kind of felt excluded from the poetry um that i was reading and i didn't feel that i um could relate to it so uh it's really interesting because i kind of fell into poetry as a young adult i was just um, on facebook and a poem came up by Palestinian poet Rafif Ziada, and it was a spoken word performance. And she repeats this line where she says, I am an Arab woman of color and we come in all shades of anger. And for me, that was just like the light bulb moment because it was the first time that I had seen an Arab woman 
owning that feeling of anger because for me i thought we could never be angry we always had to be compliant and we always had to be smiling because you know i'm representing a faith and i'm representing a culture so i i had this really big weight on my shoulders like I had to be the most um, pleasant person in the world. And, and here she was owning her anger, um, but expressing it in such a powerful and artistic way. And I looked at that and I said, wow, I want to do that too. I want to be able to show the world who I am. I want to be able to say that um, there's nuance in this conversation. So that's what kind of got me into writing. But there's a bit of a jump from getting into poetry in the first place and then setting up the Bankstone Slam. Yeah. So how did you how did you yeah. find other people? Yeah, so um I had a friend that I had met through university, Ahmed Aradi, and we kind of just started sharing clips with each other and started finding, seeking out these events and finding them um, in the inner west and in the city. And we just started going together. And then, um, you know, you post about it and then a friend says, oh, I'm interested. And then they come along. And that's kind of how it starts. So really kind of through social media. And, um, and I remember very distinctly, it was the end of 2012, probably around this time in December. And I'm speaking to Ahmed on the phone. And I said, I can't be fucked going to Newtown for this event. You know, it was, <laughs> can't be bothered for the drive. And I was like, I wish there was something around here. And, you know, we kind of got talking about how great that would be to have something in Western Sydney. And then we said, okay, well, let's just do it. Let's just start it. And we had like the temerity of youth. We were like, yeah, why not? This is a great idea. Not thinking about, um, you know, how hard it might be or any obstacles or, or if we had a, we didn't have an organizational plan. We didn't have a vision. We didn't have a mission statement. We were just like, let's just go find a space and Put a poetry slam on and that's kind of how it started it was very grassroots um it was very hopeful and and it worked and it worked because the people in the community needed it one of the things i i'm going to talk about this a lot more i'm going to come back to it. the uh because what i think is great is you, you you correctly i think talk about some of the cultural barriers often to po to be poetry to be honest not, not not i just think the western tradition of poetry is it we're not just the kind of posh kind of you know uh, uh, emphasis on like you know the written word in schools and stuff and the, the received tradition but I think you know lots of people I mean I grew up in a family that my 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 father lived and died without reading a poem I think you know what I mean it's kind of a, and actually although he's a brilliant musician he lived and died without opening the covers of a book you know he, uh, he didn't really he, didn't, he was a brilliant bloke he just didn't warm to it you know it just wasn't his thing newspapers you like yeah. newspapers but he, so I think there are lots of other barriers you know class barriers and all this kind of stuff but actually if you break really? through as i think you're also saying you know there's some fantastic poetry in the western tradition that is actually for everybody but it doesn't feel like that at, at the first off and I'm, I'm rather hopeful that you know we all kind of work out there's like some tremendous international traditions of of poetry and they all speak to us you know in 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 some ways you know yeah. i mean that's that's my optimism um i want to ask you about the, the, the culture of the city you see because my theory Although I come from, I come from a small town, and I come from a, a country town, really. I mean, it's like a mining town. Um, I, when I know the thing about cities, I've always thought was, and I've read about this, and I've lived this. I think is it because they bring a large number of people together. You know, you can make connections, and often cross-cultural connections, much more easily within that kind of urban context. So that it becomes a, a, a melting pot, I guess, but also kind of a kind of connector. Um, mm. And you, you almost live through that in creating the the Bankstown Slam, because I don't think you could have created that in except in a city. 
What do, yeah. you think? what do you think? No, I absolutely agree. I absolutely agree. And you don't want these spaces to be an echo chamber. You want to have all these different perspectives and you want to be able to hear um, from people who don't agree with you and, and have differing thoughts and opinions. And I think um, kind of going back to what you were saying as well about um, poetry and, and like the barrier with spoken word poetry, um, because it's performed, you know, there has to be yeah. an element of it being um, being able to be understood in the moment, yeah. um, almost like a song or a rap, you know. So if someone's going off uh, with these crazy metaphors that are really abstract, no one's going to relate to that. So I think it takes out, I don't know if I can say, but like the wankiness of poetry. Don't, um, don't hold back. <laughs> <laughs> I, no, think that, yeah. I think we should write a book. I think we should write a book together now called The Lack of Wankiness of Poetry. I think that's the <laughs> anyway, go on then. Seriously though, and it's just so great. And and for me, um having no talents, uh, no singing talents, no musical ability or anything other than being able to write, it's just so accessible to be able to not even need a paper and a pen, just your phone and and write something and and be able to perform it and then see everyone in real time uh applauding you clicking for you I, I love that as well the um I, I i love the fact you do you not only have managed to attract a bunch of young people and they've grown with you into being performance people and you know writing podium and they didn't know they were they were they were ever going to do that i think until they you all yeah. came together but you've also bring a bunch of people in who don't think they like poetry that's right yeah you and know, people just come because they're curious because yeah. they there's something exciting happening in the area, yeah. call it the area, um, and and then they and they walk away saying, "Oh, well, I want to perform." And that's a lot. Um, that's kind of how a lot of people got into the spoken word poetry scene and now actually have careers in the arts. You are listening to the Grimshaw Podcast, Culture and the City series, with your host Tim Williams. It's interesting. Uh, here's a um slightly Williams-esque thought you're allowed to say that's complete nonsense right because that's that's what happens with my thoughts when other people hear them is um yeah. is it strikes me that you must have had some barriers from your own cultural tradition to some of this stuff because it's not particularly common there are traditions within Islam and you've said there are you know which are very oral culture and all this kind of stuff but some people frown on you know um women performing for example so did you did you find you had to try and get through some of that response and you kind of creatively worked with it um yeah well I, I think that at the start there's always pushback when something or someone is different and um uh, there was definitely a sense of that um so the person that i started the poetry stand with was a man and i felt often that we were equal partners but he would get a lot more of the recognition um and a lot more of the applause um and i thought that that was really interesting because um you know i did a lot of work as well to set that thing up and um i think that there was uh, a hesitation to yeah. acknowledge me as well which i thought was quite interesting um but ahmed left after a couple of years because you know he had his own career and like real life to get along with um but yeah, uh, it, it forced me to step up and it forced me to, um, I guess, become uh, a leader 
you know. Oh, yeah. um, well, I see it. You know, I mean, the, <clears throat> I love the uh, when I go along. I'm disappointed if you're not leading it, actually, because uh, you do a great job as MC. And and also, I do think that you I do think this, that you've managed to bring along a younger generation, you know, that is that, that is this an amazing mixture of, of still people of faith, but like in a modern culture and a modern society and you've managed to bring all these people together and I, and I hear lots of women in the audience as well when you when you're there and you know I think you're doing I think you do I think you're fun by the way I think it's fun when you do it but it's also a great kind of um inclusive performance in a kind of modern city you know what I mean I think it's uh yeah. I, like, I like a lot I laugh a lot when you when you do it you, you play with the audience quite well I think yeah thank you well like for <laughs> me we, we deal with a lot of heavy subject matters during the yeah, poetry yeah 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 and and you know and not all of it is um easy to kind of it's it's not palatable you know a lot of it is is really heavy content mental health suicide, suicide yeah, yeah, absolutely, yeah or and and so um for me um i like to kind of lighten things up with silly jokes and and comedy yeah. because um that's kind of what i do in real life as well you know um i'm in this situation where a lot of people pass judgment on me without knowing me um and i'm somehow representative of um 1.6 billion um yeah, person religion I, so, I, I, blame, I, blame, I blame so you all i can do is laugh yeah 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 <laughs> you are you are indeed responsible for everything and i and i blame you entirely and, you know what i mean the, yeah yeah so and, and yeah. all one can do is laugh so yeah, well, I think it's great. I I, I I sort of there's a thing that's in my head around. Were you always going to be? You're now a lawyer, as well as as a, 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 a cultural entrepreneur, as I think of you. So, uh, <laughs> but you're a, a, a Were you always going to be a lawyer? Or was, or was it a? Yeah, was that, was that I was studying law. Yeah. Yeah, I was studying law when I was um, when I started the Poetry Slam, and all throughout uh, my degree, you know, I was running it. And my first job was in a top tier firm, and you know, I I look back and I think I know what I did wrong and what I could do differently. But at the time, I was so excited by the Poetry Slam because that you were running it, um, our Grand Slam at the Sydney Town Hall. Yeah. And I was just so excited by planning that and also my wedding that year that a partner pulled me aside and said, is your head here? Because I was just, you know, always yeah. thinking about um, planning and what artists we're going to be working with. And, and actually, I wanted to mention to you that it's not intentional, but uh, over 90% of the artists that we've featured over the last eight years have been people from um, cultural and linguistically diverse backgrounds. And it wasn't something that was planned. It was something that was quite organic because those are the voices that we want to platform. I don't doubt it. I mean, I can see, see yeah. it. I think it's also phenomenal. I mean, but also your point earlier on, you know, that subject matters, they, they, and people are really bearing their souls, but it's also, it's an attempt to do that and do the craft you know what i mean it's kind of a it's, yeah. it's important to me that it isn't just people you know i i could go on stage and bear my soul but i couldn't do it in poetry you know and uh so i think what you've done is is the kid you know the young people have managed to and uh, to be artists you know what i mean they they it's artistic as well as like uh confessional yeah, and um, so what we did as well for a few years there, we were running a um, high school poetry program in Western Sydney. So we went out to schools and 
you know, just engage with these young people. Simple things like teaching them how to write a simile, how to write a metaphor, um, and talking about things like racism and bullying um, and gender roles and gender stereotypes and how and giving them prompts to think about how they felt about that. Because prior to that, you know, you ask any of them and they would say that no one cared about what I had to say. And that's really how I felt growing up as well. I really felt that um, I was always spoken for and no one really cared about my perspective. So um, it is um, a transfer of power, I think. It's giving power to young people to be able to feel that what they have to say is actually important and it's heard. I also think, I mean, this is me, it's like, um, again, <laughs> that there's a discipline required to do any artist, artistic phenomena, you know, and I think that also is really great to develop in people. I, I've seen some great performances um, on, in your on the slam nights, and they are then they're, they're not, you know, if the, if any of them are spontaneous, they're brilliant anyway. But they're not. They're not. The people have crafted. They've crafted their work. They've crafted their speaking. They've crafted their stagecraft. You know, and it's really quite impressive. And uh, I just think it's right. I didn't know, by the way, you were doing some um, bringing on of, of, of talent and stuff in schools. Yeah. Is, is, that, is that ongoing or you've stopped that? Are you going to do that again? Or? Um, so yeah, so we kind of obviously had a bit of a hiccup there with this little pandemic thing that happened. <laughs> so, but we will be doing something next year and we'll also be running a National Youth Poetry Slam next year. Oh, and uh, from the, the the national font of culture that is Bankstown, or uh, will you be uh, moving it around? Yeah, so the idea is we, and this actually was planned before COVID, but the idea was that we would have video submissions from all over Australia and then fly everyone into Sydney, all of the finalists, to compete against each other. That would be phenomenal. And, of course, why stop there? You should, you're, 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 this is the first stage of international domination. Sorry. <laughs> yeah, why not? Well, I'm going to propose that we do this because uh, I was going to tell you the uh, I, I can't ever do this podcast without mentioning some part of my own autobiography. It's got to be either about London or about Wales. This one is about Wales. I don't know if you're aware, but there is a like 1500 year old tradition of oral poetry in 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 Wales, which is and the the word I for in in Australia, which is you know very common, the idea of the Eisteddfod as the as the competition of that's a Welsh word, and it comes from the Welsh chapel background of competing of competing against each other as to who has the cleverest right. the cleverest oral poetry sort of you know and people do rhymes and they do like you know and it's very interesting and a friend of mine is the top uh poet in in wales in the welsh language and it's wow. all about spontaneous you, you're given a subject matter and you're supposed to make up a couplet a rhyming couplet around that that amazing idea. So it's great. This is like 1,500-year-old tradition. So oh, I, I now suggest amazing. that there's an international <laughs> competition now between the Bankstone, uh, you know, slam and the and the Welsh tradition. We shall find a way, Sarah Mansour, to, to do that, I think. Yeah. Right? And, and how so, great would it be if someone and someone upstaged a Welshman? Well, it's impossible. Bankstone. No, no, that's never been seen in nature, you see. So you... Uh, I don't, you, you, there's no point in going in that direction, Sarah. Nobody will believe you that that's possible. So <laughs> now before, before we conclude, I, there's a few things, quite a few things I want to talk about. The, the, so yeah. now, so um, is this, um, would you think this is at all replicable? Is there anybody, anybody else doing this kind of stuff um, in, you know, I mean, I, I think the form, but not, not the 
cultural mix? I'm not sure about this, but what have you come across internationally or nationally that you find interesting? Yeah, so the spoken word poetry scene in the US is much more advanced than in Australia. Um, they have a number of national competitions. Um, the focus is really on competition, though. Right. Um, and yeah, but they have a lot of spoken word um, events all across. Uh, I, I got to go to one in New York, which was amazing. Oh, yeah, at the Eureka Poets Cafe. So there's actually a cafe. Yeah, yeah. Um, so that's really cool. And there's, but, a big, there's a big, I guess, it's partly the rap tradition and partly the there's a Puerto Rican kind of tradition around this as well but it's it's very yeah. interesting that it's a again a city thing and again an international city thing I think. yeah and also Def Jam poetry popularized oh, yeah. okay yeah that as well yeah so um in Australia there are spoken word events um as well in probably all of the major cities um we helped set the Parramatta Poetry Slam up about five years ago right uh, so that's run by completely different people. Um, so you've been, but, you've been doing good missionary work in, in other parts of Western Sydney then, raised, raising the standards. Very yeah, good. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, and definitely no sense of competition there. Um, <laughs> so look, I, I, I've got a question about culture to uh, kind of wrap this up. This will be a good five minute conversation, this part of it. Though. Yeah. The, uh, so what, what um, not that I'm being critical of anybody, but uh, do you get formal sponsorship from like the official cultural institutions of the New South Wales government, for example? Yeah, no, we don't. So we have received um, funding to run specific programs like the Real Talk program yeah. that I mentioned earlier, the high school program, and also the National Youth Poetry Slam that we're running next year. We have specific funding for that. But the Poetry Slam itself is run on love. Um, and we have a volunteer team that runs everything. We've taught ourselves how to do everything. I taught myself how to apply for grants. My friend taught herself how to um, do the videography. Uh, my other friend um, and I crafted the workshop program for high schools. So yeah, it's a labor of love. Um, and I think that it is good in a way because then we're not beholden to, yeah. <sighs> um any measures or any statistics or or anything we can kind of take it in the direction that we want to and it has really evolved over the years um and and it's just kind of like responding to what our community needs from us as well do you think um i'm going to ask you a question to end i think about the about the city about the city we're in about <laughs> sydney and about how you see the future um so some numbers again, I started with some numbers, let's do some numbers. So Sydney's a city of 5 million, uh, paused at the moment, like all cities through COVID, the population yeah. has not increased. Um, Western Sydney has been the fastest growing part of it and probably two thirds of all the growth of Sydney will happen in Western Sydney going forward. So what happens there really does matter. Uh, what happens there really matters to the future of Australia. What happens, you know, and I've said, much to Sarah's group's embarrassment that I regard the Bankstown Poetry Slam as the most significant cultural event, activity, initiative in Australia of international significance. And I do, and I think it's clear from the conversation we've had why I think that, um, because it does everything I think it should do, which is that it promotes a passion and interest amongst poetry, performance, the arts, really, uh, amongst young people, it gives them a platform, 
to uh, to enable them to actually be heard a bit more, develops their personal confidence and abilities, and also uh, is an example of that cultural mix and and sort of uh, the future lies in that direction. It seems to me. So I, I'm for all those reasons, um, and it brings you know all genders and all everybody together. You know, I think it's phenomenal. Um, but tell me about your own view of the future. You. It's too big a question. Are you, are you an optimist or a pessimist? Are you an optimist? You're always an optimist, aren't you? But, uh... <laughs> I, think, I think I'm an optimist. I think I have to be an optimist. And uh, if I'm thinking about, yeah, how the poetry summer is going to evolve, how Sydney is going to evolve, how the world is going to evolve, um, I have to view that with, within the lens of optimism. Um, otherwise, I think I will just go crazy and no one wants to hear my nihilistic poetry. So, <laughs> well, having heard this conversation, I think there might still be some bias for your nihilistic poetry, but on the whole, your, your less nihilistic is the one I think I prefer. But uh, what I loved, uh, let's, let's end with this, Lila. What I loved about your poem about uh, growing up in Bankstown and the, 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 your evoking of the smells, you know, and, and, the, and the kind of experience of, of it as a way of discussing it and then every now and again you put in a sort of punchline I think which sort of reminds us that there's still also a political kind of analysis going on as, as yeah. well as well I, I hope your own this is obvious but I hope your own family just love that stuff <laughs> yeah 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 they do they do um and that poem um I actually was uh invited to perform something on Australia Day so I wrote an iteration of that poem oh. and then I went back and I looked at it again um, because the first version of it actually was a bit more negative and I looked and I reflected and I said actually I love living where I live and working where I work um and this is the best city for me. And I think that I that was actually reinforced when I went overseas. Um, <laughs> and then I came back. There are many, there are many that, worse places. <laughs> I was just like, and just that feeling when you're just about to land in Sydney and you're like, oh, I'm home. And that feeling is what I wanted to capture in that poem. You've been listening to the second series of the Grimshaw podcast, Culture and the City, with your host, Tim Williams. Join us again for other episodes in this series from your favourite podcast provider.